Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Okay, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread is where we're up to in the Lord's Prayer. If you go back to the early life of Israel, one of the most defining stories in the life of Israel, but also in the whole scriptural narrative, is the story of the Exodus. The Exodus is the moment where God reached into the story of a nation that was enslaved in hard labor in the land of Egypt and miraculously rescued them out of slavery. He actually took a nation that was just under oppression and pulled them out with the promise of their own land. Now, in the time where God did that, land was everything. It was identity. It was a place to call home. It was a place to build a family and a nation. And so God ripped them out of slavery and said, I'm going to give you a land to call your own, and I'm going to make you my people. Well, Israel, on their way from slavery to the promised land, ends up walking into 40 years in the wilderness. It took them a long time to realize the promises of God that he had for them. And in the wilderness, they learn a whole bunch of really important stuff. And a a story that might be familiar for many of us today is the story of manna and quail. See, Israel in the wilderness recognized that for a whole nation to be fed, that the wilderness wasn't a place of abundance. It wasn't a place of agricultural goodness. It was actually a place of barrenness and dryness. And so as they're led out of slavery, Israel starts to look at the circumstances they find them in and they start to grumble against God. Exodus 16 tells the start of the story. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You see, even though they were subject to slavery and someone else's hard labor, they at least saw that they were getting fed. And they said, well, God, if God is so good, why has he led us into a wilderness just to starve to death? But then the story goes on. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I'll test them and see whether they follow my instruction. Great story. Read it around the table with your family this week. Exodus chapter 16. Let me paraphrase the rest. God says to his people every day, I'm going to bring provision of meat and bread. At night, there'll be quail in the morning. As the dew dries, there'll be bread on the ground. It's manna. It's like a crusty wafer. It's a much better form of what's now in our communion cups, kind of that idea. But there was enough that people would find their fill. So in the desert, God brings miraculous provision of meat and bread. But here's the thing. God said, you're going to be dependent on this every single day. I'm not just going to rain it down and you can go and grab it and store it and dry it and put it in fridges and freezers and be set. You have to wake up every single day and trust me for my provision. Some people didn't want to trust God, so they went out on the first day and collected way more than they needed. Well, they woke up the next day and the Bible tells us that all that they'd collected, that they'd kept on, had gone moldy. Maggots had infected it, the Bible tells us. But God said every day you wake up and you take just what you need for that day. But tomorrow you wake up and you take just what you need for that day. And so for 40 years in the wilderness, God every day provided meat and bread for his people. 
You see, God used the experience of the desert to teach his people, one, how to trust him and be dependent on him for their very life. You see, without food, we cannot survive. We, we can survive, and I researched this this week, somewhere between one to three months, they suggest, depending on the circumstances and your age and the condition of your health, but somewhere between one and three months, they reckon you could go without taking on food. You cannot survive that long without fluid. Water is essential to life. But there's, a, there's debate around how long you could go without food. But food is essential to life. And so the Israelites were dependent on God for his miraculous provision just to survive. You know, I wonder if you've ever been in a moment when you had nothing but prayer to turn to because you were utterly dependent on God and his provision and his miraculous breakthrough just for survival. Maybe some of you here have got a story of where you found yourself in a place where you had nothing and without God's miracle or God's breakthrough, without God's provision, you were, it was actually a life and death situation. I have to be honest, my life doesn't have a story where it got to life and death. But all of us can probably think of times where we got to the end and we realized there was nowhere else to turn to but prayer for God's provision. You know, a study that was done in the UK, funded by our tear fund, reported um, uh, uh, some research they did around prayer. And the Daily Mail reported this, that a new survey has revealed that one in four non-believers pray when confronted by tough times, despite insisting they are not religious. Interesting, isn't it? For atheists and agnostics, personal crisis or tragedy is the most common reason for them to resort to prayer, with a quarter admitting they pray for comfort or to feel less lonely. It's almost ironic, isn't it, that an atheist or an agnostic would admit to turning to prayer to feel less lonely and isolated when they declare that there is no God. But one in four non-believers turn to God when confronted with tough times. More recently, in the midst of the global coronavirus pandemic, an associate professor of economics at the University of Copenhagen did some research that found this, that the coronavirus pandemic has resulted in a 50% surge in online searches for prayer as people turn to religion to cope with feelings of anxiety and hopelessness. In March 2020, the share of Google searches for prayer surged to the highest level ever recorded. They found that the level of prayer searches in March 2020 was more than 50% higher than the average during February 2020. Using daily data on Google searches for prayer across 95 countries with free and unrestricted access to the internet, Professor Benson found that the increase in the number of inquiries for coronavirus prayers was a global phenomenon. That was reported just last year in the UK's Daily Telegraph. Isn't it amazing that one of the things that turns more people to prayer than anything else is the time of crisis or a time where we get to the end of our human wisdom and suddenly we realise that we're desperately in need of something greater than us. Just as the Israelites cried out in the desert that God would provide their very need of bread and meat and sustenance so we as people often find ourselves going to God in times of desperation. I want to suggest that most of us don't live our life day to day depending on manna and quail to fall from heaven. 
But the danger with that, you see, something that happened for the Israelites in the desert was every single day they woke up depending on God's supernatural intervention in their story. I want to suggest that maybe we live with a different danger. And it's this, that we can grow an indifference to prayer or a prayer life that's only ever activated in times of crisis. Do you find that there's no rhythm of prayer in your life and then something goes really wrong and suddenly you're God's best friend? Or there's no rhythm in prayer in your life and you've exhausted every piece of human wisdom or every piece of human resource, you've invested all the money, you've seen all the specialists and you realise there is nothing humanly that can be done for your situation and so now you feel like is the best time to start praying. You see, one of the greatest dangers that we have is that we grow an indifference to prayer that's only ever activated in times of crisis. That's not the prayer life I imagine that God had in mind for us when he invited us to pray, give us today our daily bread. So I just want to go back to the story of Israel for a moment because they lived a story of daily dependence on God. But God also saw a day when they, like us, we're probably not going to be dependent most days for bread to fall from heaven for their very survival. And God, as he gathers his people, says this to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He said, when you have eaten and are satisfied, now he's projecting to a time where they're no longer in the wilderness, but they've inherited the promised land that God had given them. And the promised land, the Bible tells us, was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. That was the descriptor that the Old Testament gives us for the land that God was taking his people to, flowing with milk and and honey. In other words, it was a land of fertility, of agricultural goodness. There was good soil, good place to grow your crops. There was a land flowing with milk and honey. And it was a place of plenty. And so God foresaw the time when they got to their place of plenty and he gave his people this warning. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. In other words, when it's all going well, what does your prayer life look like? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God foresaw a time when people would start to take credit for the good things that God had given them. Ever seen that? You look at the things that are going well in your life and you start to build the narrative that says, well, I'm here because I've worked hard or I'm here because, you know, I'm smart or I'm here because I just took the right steps of, we don't call it faith, we take risk at the right time. God foresaw a time when everything was going to be going well for people and people weren't going to acknowledge God's goodness. People were just going to start to acknowledge their own self-worth. It continues. God led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. 
But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. I want to suggest that one of the greatest threats to our faith is not crisis, but his times of comfort, prosperity, and affluence. Because in those times, we become self-praising. We become self-reliant. We start to tell the story that we're here because of what we've done rather than step back and say, thank you, God, for your gift to me. Jesus tells a story that leans into this. In Luke chapter 17, he tells a story of 10 lepers. Now, leprosy was the most debilitating disease. It still exists in our world today, but its, it's uh, effects aren't as well known. We don't talk about it that much, but leprosy is essentially a skin disease where you lose all sense of feeling in your body. And so you can rest on something. You can damage yourself because your body doesn't tell the, your brain that you've got your hand on a hot plate or that, you know, you're like, you just start to end up with this debilitating skin condition. It was a horrible thing to get, and it was prevalent in Jesus' day. Lepers were isolated from community. They were told that they weren't welcome in places like this. They were told to go live on the outskirts of town. They were told any time they needed to come to town that they were to enter that town and yell out the words, unclean, unclean. Imagine if the only way you could come to church was to walk in the back doors and just let everyone know that you're here by letting them know that you're unclean. That's what lepers had to do. They had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Imagine if every sin you carried in your body, you had to walk in and just let everyone know that you were here by yelling out, unclean. That was the life of the leper. Well, one day Jesus, as he's walking the highways and the byways, comes across a group of 10 lepers. And they cry out to Jesus from a distance. This, this is told in Luke chapter 17. They cry out to Jesus from a distance and say, have mercy on us. God, heal us. And Jesus says to them, go and present yourself to the priest. Because the custom was that if you were going to be certified as clean and healed, you had to go to the local priest to do that. And so they all go to the priest, and when they get there, they find that they've been healed. They're pronounced as clean. Nine of them go on their merry way, probably celebrating their freedom, going down to the local, you know, smokehouse to have a brisket burger go and celebrate with some friends, go down to the beach for the day, hang out in the local shopping centres without having to yell, unclean, just getting really excited because they're now clean. But one of them stops and thinks, I'm only here because of what God's done in my life. And so goes and finds Jesus and says, Jesus, I just want to thank you for what you've done for me. Jesus says, well, where's the other nine? You see, Jesus always foresaw that one of the greatest dangers to our faith is that when things start going well, it's so easy for God and our dependence on him just to crumble into the background. It's funny how our church attendance goes up when there's a need, how our prayer life increases when there's a need, how suddenly we think we should turn up to life group this week so everyone can pray for me because there's a need. But when everything's going swimmingly and well, suddenly we don't feel the need. Deb, you're awesome. Thank you. Has it got lemon and gin? No. <laughs> I'm joking. Suddenly we don't feel like we've got the same need. And God always foresaw that one of the dangers to our faith is times of great prosperity and affluence, when things are going well. Now, it's one of the simplest lines in the Lord's Prayer. 
But when Jesus invites us to pray, give us today our daily bread, I think there's a harking back to the experience of Israel in the desert. Where God says, when you come before your heavenly Father in prayer, when you lift up his name, when you invite his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, also know that you're invited to bring your needs to God in prayer. But what might seem like the simplest of lines, I think, has deep invitation and ramifications for us. Let me just give you three things today that this line of the Lord's Prayer, I believe, invites us into. And it's this. Number one, we're invited to ask, but not in isolation. As I've already said, we can turn to prayer in times of crisis. But there's no coincidence that the invitation of Jesus when we pray to ask for our daily bread comes after we've already addressed our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Is there something about this relational invitation that this prayer gives us? That says, when you come to God, address him as your dad, and then just tell him how good he is. Just spend time in worship. You see, if all we do in our prayer life is come to God in times of crisis, we shortcut the first part of the Lord's Prayer, which says the invitation is to come and say, Dad, I just want to tell you how awesome you are. Hallowed be your name. I just want to honor you. I want to lift you up. I want to give you praise. I also want to tell you about some of the needs in my life right now. There is no coincidence that the invitation to pray, give us today our daily bread, comes after the invitation to address our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, for some of us, the challenge this morning is our prayer life has looked like this for too long. Our Father, give us today our daily bread, amen. And filling the ask with whatever your ask is, but it's shortcut everything else that we're invited into in a prayer life, a conversation with our heavenly Father that addresses him as our dad and then invites us to lift up his name and to glorify him and to speak to his goodness. It's in the confines and the context of that relationship that Jesus says, and when you come to your dad, feel free to let him know what's going on and to ask him to provide your every need. So the invitation is to ask, but not to ask in isolation. Prayer that begins with give, always comes after the prayer that begins with gratitude. What's the practice of prayer look like in your life? Is it a, a practice of regular gratitude? Are you the one leper that comes back to Jesus and acknowledges his goodness? Or are you the one that gets on and starts to convince yourself that all good things are your making and everything that's not going so well is God's problem? So ask, but not just in isolation. Number two, ask for yourselves and for others. Let's just, just notice the plural nature of the Lord's Prayer. How's it start? Let's say it together. Our Father. Not just, when Jesus doesn't say when you pray, say my Father in heaven. Say what? Our Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give who? Us. Today, our daily bread. There's a plural nature to the words in the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't say, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Rah, rah, rah. Give me today my daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. The invitation to pray, give us today our daily bread, is an invitation for you to stand and bring your need before God. But it's also a reminder of the corporate responsibility. We have to pray for those that right now have no bread on their table. 
that are dependent on the provision of heaven just for their very survival. I want to suggest that every time you pray the Lord's Prayer and you get to the line, give us today our daily bread, you pause for a minute and you say, okay, God, I want to let you know about my needs. But I also want to be reminded as a call to action of those in our world for who this prayer isn't just good sentiment, but is practical reality. Give us today our daily bread. This is a call to communal action. So when you pray it, don't just pray for your needs, but lift up those around you and their needs to God as well. And as you pray, let the Holy Spirit of God prompt things within you so your life is one of generosity to the poor, the weak, the marginalized, and those without. Ask for yourself, but stand in the gap for others. You see, prayer that's driven by crisis can become self-focused prayer. The only time you come before God in prayer is when you have a crisis. Your prayer always looks like, give me today my daily bread. Give me, 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 me. But if you build a regular rhythm that, that just acknowledges the goodness of God and declares your need and dependence on Him for life itself, it opens up the possibility that God might want to use you to stand in the gap for those that may not even have the voice to ask on their own volition. So ask, but not just in isolation. Ask for yourself and for others. And thirdly, ask regularly. When are we told to ask for daily bread? Give us when? Today, our daily bread. God had something in mind here, and I think it goes well beyond the text. I think we all know this is true, that fresh bread is way better than two-day-old bread. Anyone ever notice that? I'm a bread snob. If it's been sitting in the cupboard for more than two days, it's toast. But if it's going to be consumed by me today, it's fresh from the baker, still steaming in the bag, like a crusted tiger buns. They're the best. Give us today our daily bread. God's provision and his invitation for provision is a daily ask. It's not a, let me throw out my Hail Mary prayer every so often when I think about it. And God, you just fill in the blanks for me for the next three months until something happens in my life that I need to come before you again. No, the invitation is to ask and to ask regularly. The invitation is to constantly come to God in prayer. The Israelites were dependent on God every single day. The prayer for them, give us today our daily bread, was not a prayer just of great sentiment. It was a prayer of practical reality that impacted the fact that tomorrow they're going to wake up in a desert. And if it wasn't for the miraculous provision of God and his sending bread from heaven, if it wasn't for God's grace in that act, they were toast. They needed fresh bread every single day. And there's something about coming before God every single day day that reminds us that our very life is dependent on him for everything. See, it's times of crisis that often draw us to prayer, but it's times of crisis that remind us that all the great things that we've built and taken credit for one day are going to come crashing down. Some of us right now are becoming very aware of the frailty of our bodies. Here's a stat for us today, 100% of us will one day discover how frail our human bodies are and how dependent we are on the miraculous provision of God for life. Give us today our daily bread. You know, we're going to start tomorrow as a church 
a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. I know some of you forgot that we're going to talk about that today, and you're like, that's right, we're meant to skip church today because I don't want to be challenged about fasting. That sounds like an awful idea. I tried to book holidays, but they wouldn't let me. Like, it's just, there's something about the thought of fasting that isn't that attractive, really, is there? The thought of going without food and sustenance. But, you know, I reckon God's got something important he wants to do in our community in this time. And one of the things he wants us to do is to remind us on a daily occurrence of our very need for provision and sustenance that can only come from him. You know, fasting is an unnatural practice. John Piper says this, fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that in itself is good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. In other words, fasting is a period of physical hunger to remind us of our deep spiritual hungering for something more. And so in light of today's message, the invitation to fast is the invitation to be reminded of how dependent we are on bread and on God's provision. Where we learn to go to him for strength, where we learn to go to him for sustenance, where we learn to go to him for comfort, and where we learn to hunger for God above everything else. You know, fasting is a practice that's spoken about in the scripture. Fasting was something that was regularly practiced by the people of Jesus' time and regularly practiced by Jesus himself. And it's an invitation to go without for the sake of being able to focus on something greater. And so I invite us as a church, right across all of Gateway, every campus, every congregation, we're together going to enter a time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, a time where our prayer, give us today our daily bread, takes on new significance and new meaning. And I want you to think about maybe what that's going to look like for you. You know, I, I don't think many people are going to get called to go 21 days without food. Actually, I'd want to suggest that if that's the case, if you feel God prompting you to do that, that you should go and actually talk to someone professional just to actually talk about how to do that sensibly and healthily. But when we talk about a season of prayer and fasting, it's an invitation for everyone to find their thing, their rhythm. For you, it might be the decision that you're just going to fast one meal a day and instead of eating breakfast, you're going to sit there with God's word and you're going to take 10 minutes just to sit in his presence and to pray. We've got some cards that you might want to grab that might just help you with how to do that. Some simple things that we're going to invite you to pray together as a church. In the morning, we're just encouraging people to pray a psalm. Just to open up the word and find a psalm that was, that was a song of human experience just directed to God and maybe just use the words of the psalm to guide your prayer. At noon, we're going to invite you just to take two minutes to pray the Lord's Prayer. Right across our city, together we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, not just as reciting empty words, but speaking to all the depth that we've been unpacking together. At night, we're encouraging that maybe you and your family want to do what, what's known as the prayer of examine. It's just a chance to walk through a really simple four-step prayer opportunity. One, to reflect, God, what do we just need to talk about today? Two, to rejoice, what are we thankful for? Three, to repent, God, what do we need to own and ask your forgiveness for? And four, to renew, God, do a new thing, do a good work, restore in us all that you want to do. Those cards are available on the welcome desk if you want to grab that out. I also want to suggest to jump on our website, gatewaybaptist.com.au forward slash 2021 prayer. 
On there, you'll find a booklet that speaks to fasting and the practice. It'll actually give you some tips about how to do it and maybe some ways that you might want to fast. As I said, for some of us, the challenge that we're going to walk away with today is you're going to determine just to skip a meal every day. And instead of going to the kitchen, you're going to go to your chair and you're going to open God's Word and you're just going to spend that 10 minutes in prayer. For, for some of you, you might just want to choose one day a week for the next three weeks where you're going to choose to fast. But, uh, this week, I'm going to fast on Tuesday because we're going to have a big prayer gathering here on Tuesday night. And so I'm going to kind of finish my day on Tuesday in prayer with the church family. We'd love you to be part of that. It's an open invitation to everyone here just to gather together as we pray for our church and for our community. 7 p.m. Tuesday night, worship and prayer gathering right here in the MPC. So for me personally, I'm going to fast this Tuesday as we lead into that prayer gathering. You might want to fast coffee or maybe some of you young guys, you might need to just determine that you're going to put your phone away. You're going to fast some technology. And in all those times where you just feel led to go to the thing that actually sustains you, you're going to go to God instead. That's the discipline of fasting. The time where you go to the, the things that sustain you, you choose not to go there, but you choose to go to God instead. So what's it look like for you? I think it's something powerful for us individually when we fast, but there's something powerful about when a group corporately chooses to fast and to come before God and to cry out for Him, for His guidance and His direction. So for the next 21 days, we as a church are going to lift up our community. We're going to ask for godly insight. If someone said to me earlier, well, what are we really going to pray for? I said, oh, I just want God to continue to show us what impact He wants us to have here in this local community so that when Gateway Ormo doesn't exist one day, there is weeping in the streets because we're no longer here. That day won't come, I pray. But what's the impact that God has for us as a group of people meeting in His name to have on this community? Well, are things going to change? Is there going to be greater hope amongst young people in our community because the church, a prayerful, God-directed church, is doing all that He's calling us to do with young people in our community? For those that don't have bread to put on their table, how does God want to use us and unlock the relationships that are going to enable us to be the people that are the hands and feet in Jesus in the lounge rooms and on the kitchen tables right through this community? What is it, church, that we're going to cry out to God for over these next 21 days? I invite you to be involved. You know what, last year I preached the message about fasting and I was really honest and said, I've actively avoided this discipline my whole life, but God's calling me into something new. And last year for the first time, it wasn't just a token thing for me. It was actually a significant moment of leaning into this spiritual discipline that Jesus asked us to be part of. Uh, we're going to put that message up. I'm sure we'll find a way on Facebook later if you want to go back and listen to it because I speak a whole lot more about the discipline of fasting and ways to fast. Go and listen to that later if you're fascinated. But I invite us all to think about a way that we can lean into the next 21 days. The Gateway Ormo to stand together in desperate need of God's goodness, intervention and grace. And just to cry out to Him together as we address Him as our Father in Heaven as we lift up his name, hallowed be your name, as we stand in the gap and pray, your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as together, we ask not just for ourselves, but for our community, that God would continue to be our provider and it would be him that we live in utter dependence on. Come on, church, let's do this together. 
actually want to see more people at our prayer nights than we've ever had in the history of Gateway or before. You might think I'm not a group prayer. We'll just get here. We won't make you pray out loud in front of 30 people if you're not comfortable. But you just want to sit there and pray silently. But let's come together, church, and let's just cry out to God to just not make us a great little gathering of people or a great club, but a church that influences for the goodness and the glory of God in our community. Hey, why don't we stand on our feet today? I just want to pray that line over us. I just want to pray that line over us. Oh, Father God, today we ask that you would give us our daily bread. Lord, we pray for those in our community right now in desperate need. Lord, that need the practical love of your people just to sustain them. God, for those that that are hide behind a a respectable cover, God, or just make everyone else think that they're doing okay, but right now are just struggling just to survive and just need the bare necessities. God, would you speak your hope? Would you compel us to be your hands and feet? God, we don't just ask for your provision to be poured out on us, but God, we want to pray that your provision will be poured out on our community that we would know you as a generous God that you are. But God, as your people here at Gateway Olmo today, we want to pray that we would learn what it is to live daily in utter dependence on your miraculous provision. God, let us not get comfortable in the things that we've got. Let us never take glory for the kingdoms that we build. Let us never take the glory that you deserve for the good things that you've given us. Let us never find pride in our hearts, but let's always acknowledge your goodness and your grace and your provision. And as we do that, Jesus, compel us to be incredible stewards of all that you've given us so that the world may be blessed through your people and through your church. And so today we pray, give us today our daily bread. We pray in the name of Jesus. And all together we said, amen. Hey, uh, Case has written a brand new song that she's going to sing over us this morning. And as she does that, I want you just to spend a couple of minutes in God's presence in your space and say to him, okay, Jesus, what are you calling me to in this moment? What's it look like? Some of you have been sitting in church for 40 years and this is the first time God's going to say, you're going to skip breakfast for the next 21 days and you're going to spend it in my work. You're going to go a day without and you're going to spend it praying and asking. He's going to give you that challenge and you're going to have the courage to walk out of this place filled with His Holy Spirit to be obedient to Him. Some of you are going to resolve in your spirit that you're going to be part of the next 21 days praying with others and interceding for the broken in our community. What is your response today? Jesus, as we sing, Holy Spirit, speak and give us the grace and the courage to be obedient to what it is you call us to do. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.